Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It's October and uh, the election season is in uh, full tilt, uh, but we also have uh, Brett Kavanaugh to talk about. We have our full panel to have that discussion, which means Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party is here. Rebecca, good to have you. Oh, good to be here, Matt. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Uh, good day, everyone. So we are going to talk about Kavanaugh. It is all-consuming. Um, you know it must be all-consuming because we generally try to focus on state issues here, but we think this is so important, and of course it definitely is going to have an impact on the elections. We'll talk more about that and Kavanaugh broadly. We're also going to mention and talk about the fight for 15 and workers organizing to try to increase their wages. We had a strike uh, here in Milwaukee. There were some arrests. We'll talk just a bit more about that. State ledge races, we've been talking a lot about them. We'll continue to do that, uh, and we'll talk a little more in detail on them. Plus, we'll be joined by Aaron Madison, Citizen Action Co-op member and candidate for Assembly District 22 here in the suburban Milwaukee area. He'll join us at the end of the show to talk more about his race and, again, why a lot of these suburban and Republican seats that are being contested are so important. But with that, let's talk about the Kavanaugh hearings. We talked extensively you know, a couple segments last week. Um, since we recorded last week, we had the Senate play out where pretty much everyone voted to move towards nomination, but we had one senator step up and call for an FBI investigation. That investigation, as of today, we record Thursday morning, um, is being gone over. It's, it's being made available in a very strange manner. We can start talking about that, um, where the senators, a very small few of them, will be able to see it over, like I believe, an hour, a very small window of period. Um, and then we may have a vote tomorrow in the U.S. Senate on Kavanaugh. Robert, you look like you're no, no, eager to jump say, in. It, it sounds like tomorrow's procedural and the weekend would be a final vote. Just gotcha. As far, as far as we know, the audience knows more than we do because you'll know what happened. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there's a, I, we're going to probably talk at least a couple segments on this, but what's very interesting that's happened since we recorded last week, um, the testimony was gripping, right? And I, Ford continues... To be very, her testimony was very popular among the public. Polling continues to show more Americans believe her testimony uh, than Kavanaugh. Um, but there's a fascinating dynamic occurring on the Republican side, and it, it's not shocking given this is the party of Trump now. Trump has really stirred the drink on this, and um, everybody by now has probably heard his Mississippi speech where he just went directly after Ford both her, her character, but also the credibility of her testimony, which was a change of what he had said. He had originally described her as highly, very credible testimony. But this is part of a, Trump, of course, way out front, but part of a broader movement within the Republicans where they started, it started with Lindsey Graham, actually, in the testimony, getting very angry about the way Kavanaugh was being treated in all of this and procedural questions. Um, this has definitely sparked the Republican base. New polling, the same polling that shows most people believe Ford, also show that this is stirring the Republican base and the gap that used to exist in terms of people's excitement about going and voting this fall used to be about a 10-point gap between the excitement of Democrats versus Republicans virtually gone. So, Rebecca, I want you to start our conversation. 
um, your thoughts on on where we stand this Thursday morning. This has been historic, right? Yeah, it does seem like the FBI investigation is almost just a formality. Um, you know, they didn't go back and re-interview Dr. Ford. Um, so Dr. Ford has not been interviewed at all by the FBI. Also did not interview Debbie Ramirez or any of the many people who have come forward publicly to say that they were present or knew with contem- contemporaneous knowledge of the incident that happened at Yale um, that, you know, Debbie Ramirez alleges ha- um, Brett Kavanaugh, you know, exposed himself and assaulted her at a party. Um, go, go ahead. I, I actually believe they did uh, interview Ramirez, but none of the people that she suggested they interviewed, the list of 20 people her lawyer sent over, so not for okay. not Kavanaugh, Ramirez, but only Ramirez, none of all the cooperating witnesses she offered. Got it. Okay, yeah, thank you for that. So it, it doesn't seem like they, they were, in t- the FBI was directed to really do a thorough investigation of the incident at Yale. Um, In fact, directed not to, I would directed say. Directed not to, yeah, that, that seems right. So, um, you know, so that that is what we know about the investigation. We know who they've spoken to, as um, was mentioned earlier in the segment. You know, uh, this, the senators are only allowed to look at the information provided from this investigation one by one, um, alternating between Democrats and Republicans. This is so weird, room. Rebecca. <laughs> this is so weird. Why? I, well, we know why, but anyway. Keep going. We do know why, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's so that's where we stand. Um, so, I think you know this vote will go forward. Um, there'll be you know continued protests, I'm sure. But it seems like this was almost just a, a formality to give cover to folks like Flake and Collins and Murkowski to to vote on this. Well, that's clearly the goal of the whole process, and so they've redefined what it is to listen to women. Right, listening to women means they get to talk and then be ignored, it appears, right? And they get to be treated with surface respect. We think you're credible. We respect you. You're incredibly courageous. Now we're going to go on and do what we're going to do anyway. By the way, not even actually talk to them. They didn't even ask a question of them, right? Like put somebody else out there. like Which blew up in their face with the, the DA from Arizona who... You know, is used to probably uh, drawing out witnesses over days of testimony, didn't really get anywhere, and they finally fired her in the middle of the session when they took it over during the Kavanaugh piece, because uh, that's all since we last recorded. Uh, so there's, there's a fundamental thing here, right? Because now we have uh, uh, the White House and Trump saying, essentially, this is a dangerous time to be a young man in America. So what they've tried to do is to put up to try to equal the emotion of what's been happening, the We Too movement, that is women coming forward and, and saying what they didn't say before about what had happened to them and how that affects us, our workplaces, our public policy, et cetera, with the, the, the fear of false accusations. The research shows there are hardly any of them, just to be clear. But yeah, they occasionally occur, and of course, so it's supposed to be equally terrifying to rev up their base. And you also have, unfortunately, um, a fair number of uh, Republican women, especially uh, the ones uh, with that, uh, non-college women, who seem to, uh, are kind of, uh, for want of a better word, more of in a patriarchal mindset. And they're saying this poor man and his family have been pulled through all of this. So there is sort of this appeal to family here. And under the surface, though they don't want to admit it, though I heard it, it was very clear on NPR today, there's this question of 
Uh, they're not. They're saying that if he was found to have uh, uh, to have committed these assaults, uh, that he would be disqualified. But they're not. They're also trying to say the opposite. That this was in college and high school. We want to be held responsible forever. And there was a woman who knows Kavanaugh, who was on National Public Radio Morning Edition this morning. And when pressed, because she said she he knows him forever, he'd never do this. What if he did? Would it be dis- would it be disqualifying? She refused to say that, which is fascinating. So one of the things that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in is getting your thoughts. I think you both, from what I'm hearing, and tell me if I'm wrong, both believe that he'll, he'll get approved either Friday or this weekend, right? That it'll be done, Robert. Let me clarify. Yeah. Uh, it was obviously under the instructions of the White House, which is the client, an extremely restricted FBI report designed not to find anything. There's the off chance it found something. We don't know that at this recording. Uh, that would be too much for Collins, Murkowski, and Flake, and therefore Manchin and Heitkamp would follow them. Uh, there's also the chance that Flake considers this uh, restricted FBI investigation to be bad faith, and he has no election to go back to. So he's still a potential wild card. I tend to think he's going with them, but I don't know for sure. Well, no, that's uh, that's why I was going to say you both were pretty self-assured that as you said, Robert, this process was set up to get Murkowski and Collins, right, and Flake and everyone in line. Um, look, Trump's the wild card here. I think they were moving in a direction to get it in line. And I think what he did in Mississippi actually throws this completely back in jeopardy, even if it may help them electorally. I think what Trump did in Mississippi was, like, drive that base and really get people fired up. And, I, and you know, t- he, I think he did it masterfully for what he's what we've seen from him and how he ran for president but i'm not sure man like it it's not good with just about everybody i mean just about everybody else and so i think what you mentioned um is a wild card and what really what is happening with collins does she really need that base to win her election or does she actually need you know uh regular people who find what's going on to be I, more appalling outside of the republican I, base i know we're near the break but yeah. as far as collins goes uh for our national network people's action i was doing calls personally into into maine a couple of days ago and those voters have not only been hammered they were volunteering how many calls and letters they'd written. So Collins yeah. is being hammered unbelievably based on my two hours of calling. Yeah, we're, we're, we've got to take a break. We're going to come back and continue this conversation. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about Kavanaugh. Unfortunately, it's Thursday morning and... Uh, we are not sure exactly what happened, but much has happened since we last recorded. Um, and when we took a break, we were discussing really what do we think is going to happen, right? Um, Rebecca, you were going to say something, so why don't you go? Yeah, I, I think that um, you know, right before the break, we were talking a bit about Maine, and it reminded me of reports that have come out since our last show about the just sh- sheer volume of outside spending. Uh, that's taken place in some of these states that have cheaper media markets than others. Um, and so, you know, that more spending goes a pretty long way. And so what, what we've seen, you know, in spite of the fact that 
Judge Kavanaugh in his testimony uh, decried liberal opposition groups and their spending. Really, you know, the ACLU has tried to get some information out there, but by and large, these are conservative groups who are just dumping on the airwaves uh, in all of these states. Um, you know, again, we mentioned Maine, but all of these kind of like swing vote states. And it really has inundated the airwaves. And then, you know, earlier in the last segment, we also talked about you know, the president's statements at his rally, uh, Matt uh, alluded to Lindsey Graham's statements at the hearing. Uh, and really, you know, I think, Matt, you're like, well, it really started with Lindsey Graham, but really it started before that, right, with Rush Limbaugh and, you know, the, the right-wing, you know, uh, patriarchal media um, and how they really have been driving home this message that it's, uh, you know, as the president said, a dangerous time to be a white man in America, uh, which is which is really, again, trying to, as you guys said, get at the base and get at the red meat. And that is something that now we're hearing at the highest levels of government and then amplified by these conservative groups that are buying up the airwaves. And so that's kind of what's happened in the last week from the men and from the men on the right. Um, but there's also a lot that's happened um, with women. Uh, and you know, we talked a bit about the protests and the bird dogging um, that had taken place around the hearings. Um, you know, CPD in particular has been really out front um, bird dogging Jeff Flake, bird dogging other senators. Um, women across the country have protested. You mentioned, um, you know, in, in Maine and Citizen Action, and others have been. Um, you know, writing their senators, calling their senators. And now I think we're, we're about to see an even higher level of action. We expect the vote to come down Friday or this weekend, you know, as Robert was explaining earlier. And there last night um, was a coordinated effort launched by a very diverse group of women, um, activists, public figures, celebrities, um, everyday people called Black Fridays. And so the idea is that for women who are able um, to, to step out of work or leave work this Friday um, and do some other kind of action they're encouraged to, generally people are being asked to wear black. And the actions could be like a whole range of things. We can be in community with each other. We could be grieving with each other. We could be doing electoral work. Uh, and that's something that you know hopefully will continue and grow over the next over the next several weeks, not just until the election, but again, until November 23rd. And I think part of that is that this is not normal, it's not business as usual, and I think we'll see, just like we saw last week with the hearings, that there's gonna be a real um, outpouring of you know, folks wanting to do something um, and grieving or wanting to act or whatever it is. And so this is a community of people, again, like very diverse, um, you know, kind of like grassroots group of folks who are like, let's, let's create a space for folks to do that. So if people are interested, you can kind of look online, hashtag Black Fridays. You can say, you know, I'm Fridays, I wear black because X. Um, but this is something that I think uh, is, is a really great organizing space and we're gonna see lots of people all over the country plug into it. You can host an event, you can go to an event. Um, again, if you just look on Facebook or Twitter, you'll find the links and all the resources. So yeah, what Rebecca says is all right on. and. We know this. I mean, this is the thing about social movements. Uh, the Me Too movement exists because there is a great deal of sexism still in this country, and there's going to be a resistance, right, to it. And it, it's weird because what this does is this surfaces what the fault lines are. So there's a real sociological kind of process where sometimes big debates like this and partisan divisions become stalking horses for something else. And so this becomes much bigger than Kavanaugh at some level. But the other hand, we have to remember, it's about Kavanaugh. And that means this play to get two Supreme Court appointments to one 
and McConnell trying to get this legacy of creating a permanent right-wing Supreme Court, which is an anti-democratic check on what might happen with electing new presidents in a Congress. So this is about preventing the people from changing course. That's what this is about. It's un uh, incredibly anti-democratic. It's extra-constitutional because the founding fathers and mothers did not even expect uh, that the Supreme Court would be the final arbiter in this way and, 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 and a check on democracy, which is what it's become. Uh, so there's that, and so here's the thing. Since they're hell-bent on doing this, they're not looking for proof that, uh, that Kavanaugh is innocent. They're not looking for anything other than a muddling it and a tie. If it's a tie and they have any plausible arguments, then they can ram it through. And we've certainly seen that Murkowski and Collins and Flake are Republicans for a reason. And Flake was going to vote yes and then felt guilt pangs and decided to hold it up. But they're still partisan Republicans, even Flake. And so they're still, if it's a tie and it's muddied up or the FBI is inconclusive, uh, then they can go ahead and do what they wanted to do. So that's what this is about. But that will have ramifications and consequences as far as uh, the Me Too movement and, and our whole development of what it is to have a just and, and open and equitable society, quite frankly, uh, even though they try to do that. And you talk about the investigation being a sham. I mean, you have, in what kind of investigation, and I understand it's not a criminal investigation, but the burden of proof is not beyond reasonable doubt, right? Do you have at least 20 people, according to press reports, call and ask to talk to the FBI, and they don't return the calls. Can you imagine the police doing an investigation and not even having a, a cursory conversation at all with these folks? I mean, it, they literally seem to be under orders only to interview the six people, from what I can tell. Totally agree about the sham. It's the first time the word's been used on here, and it's a total sham, right? Like, Rebecca's basically, from the very beginning, accurately went after the credibility of, of, of this. Um, not only is it a sham as it relates to just finding out what Ford had, whether there was truth there, um, the whole idea that it can, that it's not, it's not even going and looking into what was the biggest, in addition to this, clearly failing of Kavanaugh, dude's not honest, right? Like there's just a lack of truthfulness. Right and what he was presenting, and that's what's become really painfully clear. It's not even being investigated that basically all of his friends and all of the people he grew up with, even people who might be like, well, I knew nothing about that night, are like, uh, dude was a big drinker. <laughs> he was totally lying about that, totally lying about the the sex, whatever the, the thing in his um, yearbook, where basically friends are like, there is no way, that is not the guy we knew, so the FBI is not even looking at the fact that this guy went up there and was completely disingenuous about who he was fundamentally as a person beyond obviously all the the, the sexual assault, right? So it's just like you know, According it was set up to be a, it was set up right to to try to, to 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 look at this very narrow thing, which as Rebecca pointed out, did very horribly. According to press reports, they were prohibited from looking into whether Kavanaugh lied and prohibited from interviewing Kavanaugh and Blasey Ford. Those are the press reports as of Thursday morning. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, you know, to Robert's point about the process, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of folks who really see this as like an extension of rape culture. And so you use the words like ram it through, but you know, that's something that I think people, women across this country and people generally feel very acutely. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier, like this Black Friday's effort to disrupt business as usual, um, to act, whether it's around electins or ele uh, elections or coming together um, in communities, but just generally just like 
be like, this is not normal. We're going to halt business. We're going to disrupt where, you know, people who want to put their bodies on the line can. People who want to do electoral work can. Um, but the, the tagline of it or like the subheading is we do not consent. And I think that that's like an operative phrase that like a whole host of the American populace does not consent to this um, Supreme Court nominee being, as Robert put it, rammed through. And I think it really... And the, yeah. and the, and the McConnell term is uh, plow through, just to be fair to Senator McConnell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really remarkable, you know, and I think it's... There, there's almost open revolt that's happening, um, whether it's at the Capitol or across the country, and it seems to, it seems as of taping, and we'll see what happens over the weekend, that it, it will not have an impact on the ultimate result. You said something super good, because remember the constitutional clause is advice and consent, and you're saying that the people and women across the country are giving their advice and denying their consent. Right, that's correct. Let me just add that... Uh, I won't name them because I'm more polite than what's happening in the media right now with this thing, but the various sex acts that Setters Act asked uh, Kavanaugh about and he denied were sex acts and said they were drinking games. There's much, uh, much proof uh, from other Yale classmates who were not interviewed, of course, of what they were. And in, and in terms of the uh, uh, Ramirez uh, Yale story, apparently no one in the dormitory where it happened has been interviewed. And so one of the classmates called it a charade, so it's another way of talking about a sham. But the question is, if this is enough to pass muster for the Trump base, then that kind of tells you where we are, right? Yeah, and I think there's like just not been a lot of moral courage among Democrats. Um, there are some Democrats who have really taken a lead, but there are far too many, including almost all of the ones in the state, I think, who will say, oh, we believe Dr. Ford, um, and we think there should be an investigation. But, like, folks aren't really going far enough to say, like, this is, like, people do not consent that this is not, you know, American democracy as it was envisioned by the founders, that this is, like, outrageous and that there should not be a vote or he should not be. And I think, I think that really shows the fear among many Democrats of the right-wing Fox News media machine. But now is a time for moral courage, not for, not for caving to Rush Limbaugh. And with that we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about the Kavanaugh hearings. We're going to, before we move on though, we did not even have an opportunity to chat about Ron Johnson's remarks this week, which were despicable, where he flat out questioned and said that. He, th he knew, he was very confident of this, by the way, that um, Ford was suffering from false memories. So just despicable. Speaking yeah. of what you said, like it's even worse, right? Not only do we not have people stepping up, but have someone like that who's just flat out just like saying she has false memories, which ev I mean, any, every medical professional has basically come out and been like he doesn't understand what he's talking about. But I don't think I needed to tell our listeners that he doesn't understand no, what he's talking about. A, since but, we talk about pattern records, I won't go into it. There's a pattern of Senator Johnson being very sure about untrue things throughout his Senate career. So this is just par for the course. Yeah, and, and Leah Vukmir, we don't have to get into the exact thing she said, but she's been very extreme on this. It's kind of interesting to see the different campaigns that Leah Vukmir is running and Governor Walker are running, um, where he's trying to, as much as possible to like avoid this. Um, and she's really throwing red meat out to the base. Uh, there's a pattern there, too, with, yeah. with, with uh, 
Miss Vukmir. Yeah. So we are going to switch topics, and we want to talk about something else that's occurring nationally, but has a real local hook, and that is um, there was a lot of there's been a lot of news this week around the fight for 15. Um, I think the biggest national news was that Amazon um, declared said that they're going to pay $15 an hour to all starting employees. Uh, we won't, at least for now, dig into that, but. Look, all of that is happening because there's been a huge movement of workers that have been organizing for your, for years around this uh, in the fight for 15 in an effort to increase the minimum wage, but also to, to give basic rights to have a union. Um, so there have been, there have been um, uh, some actions around uh, the country this week, but here in Milwaukee, yesterday, 20, 23 folks were arrested, many workers, but also some allies. Uh, religious and local electeds included at a McDonald's on North Avenue uh, to show local support for workers who've been doing this organizing, but also just to really continue to draw attention to the moral outrage of, you know, poverty in this country. Rebecca? Yeah, there was a national day of action, um, and I, I think I saw the UK Labor Party that there were actions in the UK against McDonald's um, property wages. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I just happened to be scrolling on Instagram. But yeah, I think um, a couple of things about this. One, um, you know, a lot of people are lauding um, Jeff Bezos for the $15 an hour, but the real victory belongs to the workers and, you know, progressive organizations that have been fighting for this for a long time. I will say that. $15 is a floor and actually it's not as much of a floor as it was when it was first proposed. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's an easier thing for Amazon to agree to now than it was before. And it's, I, I, it's not a hard thing for a multi-billion dollar company. Um, that'd be the first thing that I would point out. Uh, the second thing is that this week is 10 years since the financial collapse. And I think what we've seen over the last decade is, you know, wages decline, um, wealth decline among individuals, but among companies just increase rapidly. And of course, you know, we've also seen compounded um, in that the tax cuts for wealthy corporations and the massive subsidies that have happened, not just under the Trump administration, but under, um, you know, federal and state government um, over the past decade. And so, you know, these companies have been getting enormously wealthy and we, our wages have been, um, you know, stagnant or in many cases declining over this time. And so on the one hand, this is a, a huge victory for the Five for 15 movement, which has been um, mighty and fierce. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we still need to go farther. I will say that, you know, the action that happened in Milwaukee outside McDonald's, McDonald's is one of the biggest perpetrators of, you know, um, paying poverty wages um, in all of our communities, whether they're rural communities, urban communities, white communities, communities of color. Um, and I think it's, you know, critically important that we keep the pressure on, and that's why I'm so glad that local elected officials like Supreme uh, Mora Omokunde and Marcelia Nicholson, both Milwaukee County supervisors, were part of this action, um, which really was elevating the issue, doing civil disobedience um, in the great tradition of, you know, the civil the civil rights movement, the labor rights movement, um, and, and, you know, blocking an intersection to draw attention to the struggles of these workers, um, you know, and I hope that other leaders follow in their example. So just a call out to the whole Fight for 15 movement, and I mean, because it's very clearly related to Citizen Action Wisconsin's uh, theory of change, not just in terms of economic justice, but in terms of you need a clear demand that's understandable. 
Like, what is, what is the demand for affordable housing? Does anyone know? Do you say, I mean, we don't even, we don't even define it, right? And uh, people have tried, don't get me wrong, but it hasn't become prevalent, okay? And so when we say something like Medicare for all, we're saying everyone's got to have health care no matter what. It's clear, if you see what I mean. If we say in the end child poverty campaign, citizen action is a part of, that we're going to end it and cut it in half in 10 years as the first step, uh, and cut racial disparities in half in 10 years, you see there's clarity. And there's all too much we make a little more better. And even Democratic politicians want to be unclear because they don't want to be held accountable necessarily to this stronger goal. So I will say that Tony Evers does support a $15 minimum wage. Governor Walker's had eight years to raise the minimum wage and is, uh, shall we say, disinclined to do so. Uh, so there's that. There's also, quite frankly, we're at the uh, potentially the end of an unprecedented economic expansion, and wages are still stagnant. And we have economists saying, gee, we don't know why wages are still low. They should be going up. Oh, we're wondered. It's very perplexing. Well, if you destroy and damage organized labor and you reduce the power of workers to a rigged global trading system where capital can go anywhere and workers are locked in to where they live, uh, then you give all of the uh, leverage to a McDonald's, for example, and forget about the franchise system. McDonald's needs the franchises. If it would bankrupt the franchises, McDonald's would have to change the deal. Okay, there is no, it's just one of these little smokescreen arguments. I'm sure the same kind of arguments were made as to why we had to have child labor 100 years ago, because, oh, there's all these complexities and you just can't do it, and da-da-da-da, and there's a workforce shortage, and da-da-da-da. But just to give you the economic inequality number that's striking, uh, the CEO of McDonald's, uh, uh, Mr. Stephen Estabrook, who I'm sure is a incredibly talented man, uh, makes $10,400 an hour, as opposed to the $9 an hour that in some of the news coverage one of the protesters makes as a shift manager at McDonald's when he has a master's degree. So that's what we're talking about here. Oh, and by the way, incredibly profitable company. This is all about greed. It's about Wall Street saying we want 50% profit, and we, we, we can't settle for 20% profit. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the, a lot of this is the service industry, and it's largely unorganized, and it is very low wage, often contingent, and it, it's, it's our future, folks, right? It's where a lot of the work is, and until we grasp the idea that if these jobs don't pay, if these jobs aren't, you know, solid jobs in our communities, we're going to continue to have hurt and pain and lack of opportunity throughout all of our communities. Mm -hmm. And and so, like, Rebecca's absolutely right about Bezos. Don't, please, do not reward this guy. And I don't think we've heard the, the end of what's happening at Amazon. This is a political move on his part. Let's not kid ourselves as a very conservative individual um, and who believes in the current economic structure. Um, there were lots of, there was local news coverage about workers who've been there not so happy because there were other things that were taken away, frozen, other benefits that were removed in order for him to make this change, right? So we do not know and have the details. These folks don't have a union. There's no contract. There's no clarity as to what Bezos has done. But he's definitely shown that 15 means something, and it's, it's important, and that it has the moral authority of this nation that a guy like Bezos went from essentially paying you know, less than 10 to this. So um, kudos. They're the heroes of the week, right? The Fight for 15 folks and everyone who's been involved uh, organizing and uh, the workers you know, in those strikes that have been going on for years now. So with that, 
Um, we want to spend some time, uh, we're going to preview a little bit about what we're going to uh, talk about. It, our next segment, we're going to be joined by Aaron Madison. He's a Citizen Action Co-op member and is also running for the State Assembly. Um, so we're going to hear more from him. But we want to also mention and talk about what's going on in particularly the State Senate, which Democrats, and we have an opportunity to elect mm -hmm. some progressives there, Americans for Prosperity is coming in big with negative garbage. And we want people to be aware that it's going to happen in a lot of these Senate races. So like Jeff Smith and Eau Claire, Julie Henze, Lee Snodgrass, um, Chris Moran, we're going to be seeing all kinds of garbage flowing in to your district. So folks should be aware that the sleaze machine on the right is is cranked up on these state legislative races. They, they get that... Uh, we're doing that there's a lot of really good candidates that might make a difference. Um, so we are going to talk more on the back end of the commercial with Aaron Madison, Citizen Action Co-op member running for State Assembly. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We have to, before we are joined by our guest Aaron, uh, Madison, who's running for the Assembly District 22. We're going to quickly, briefly talk about health care. Robert, there was some big news this week, both as it relates to uh, Badger, uh, Medicaid expansion, uh, Voss saying absolutely not, but also uh, news around uh, Leah Vukmir and Tammy Baldwin. Quick update. Yeah, so just on, uh, on Voss, Voss is basically across a range of issues, but most extremely on health care declared that he's going to be an obstructionist if the Democrats hold the Senate and the governorship, and they're going to not repeal a single thing that Walker did. I believe that's close to a quote. Uh, and they're going, and, and as far as Medicaid expansion and the billion dollars we've given away, no, never. No way, never. So there you have it. And that'll be a very interesting setup for the, uh, the following uh, se election for legislature, uh, if that's all that's happening is, is that, the that there's this negative check on any positive progress. And on the other hand, speaking of the legislature, you have State Senator Leah Vukmir, uh, who is now saying that, uh, that Medicare for All will bring down the whole healthcare system and destroy healthcare as we know it. Uh, this is in the back and forth debate where Leah doesn't, won't even take a pledge to protect people with pre-existing conditions. And the only thing I have to say about Senator Vukmir's position is uh, she would appear to be for repealing Medicare because it looks like Medicare is a complete horrible disaster. And you'd think if this was true, that all the other developed countries in the world would basically have no health care because the, the system would have been destroyed. Uh, so the only thing that's fact-based here is that Leah Vukmir is an extreme ideologue who doesn't even understand how the health care system works. We once had a debate with her um, in the pages of the Journal Sentinel where she insisted Medicare and Medicaid uh, and insurance were why prices were so high in healthcare and that people had to pay out of their own pocket, pay as you go, things would be great. That is what this woman believes. So one of the reasons Leah Vukmir and these hyper-conservative politicians exist is that for years we have really, as progressives and Democrats, not truly been competing in a lot of these more conservative Republican areas, particularly suburban and exurban areas, around Milwaukee in Waukesha and Ozaki County. And our next guest, our member Aaron Madison, is challenging that. He is running an aggressive campaign in, in suburban, more Republican areas here in the Milwaukee County area. 
Aaron, thanks for uh, taking some time to join us today, talk a little bit about your campaign and why it's so important. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for having me on. So wh why don't you tell our listeners who don't know anything about you a little bit more about yourself <laughs> and why you're running? Okay, well, um, let me give you a quick brief history of myself, and I think that'll explain your answer your question as well. Um, I'm a fifth-generation Wisconsinite and third-generation on where I live, which used to be my dad's dairy farm. It isn't any longer. Um, but I went to UW. Uh, I got degrees in finance and economics and then um, master's in accounting and then went on to work for some of the Wisconsin's, you know, big manufacturing companies. You may have heard of Bucyrus Erie and uh, Parker Penn. Um, they had both gone bankrupt, and then they brought in new management. I, I was a part of those new management teams in each case. Um, and um, then the second time, when Caterpillar bought Bucyrus, I realized you know, I didn't want to work for these humongous corporations. So I moved to China, and I, I uh, taught at a university in those uh, issues in northeast China for eight years. But um, I had, you know, I kept in touch with people here, kept my, my house, um, kept plugged in. And all the things that happened here with the walk over, walker takeover, uh, I like to call it the walkover, um, occurred while I was there. And that, this was, you know, national news. Therefore, it was international news. You know, people, my colleagues, mostly from Europe, when I was teaching in, in China, um, they knew about everything that was going on. And you really out of, you know, I had a lot of pride, and I probably was a little bit obnoxious even with them about Wisconsin's history, but I went into like a silent um, embarrassment over it. And when I went back last fall, I just told them, I said, you have to find somebody else for the spring semester because I have to come back home and either do something substantial in this area or maybe not want to come home again ever. You know, I, as I dug into some of these issues, dug into the incumbent's record, that sealed it for me. I just, I just, you know, as conservative, like you say, as conservative as these western suburbs are, she's even far more conservative than that. So tell our listeners who you're running against, and tell us a little bit about exactly what you're hearing. Like, what is it that um, people may not understand about what are perceived as conservative districts that um, would you know, that our listeners should know about and that you're hearing? Um, you know, you hear a lot of the things that you've talked about, the health care and education, and, but I'm always shocked to hear how often I hear roads as the number one issue. Um, even way out here in the western areas where, you know, the roads are pretty good, um, I consistently hear that, you know, even if I don't bring that up or give them a list, this will come up sometimes. You know, it kind of seems very strange to me that a, a tourist state like Wisconsin would let its roads go, <laughs> go like this. It just doesn't make any sense economically or, um, you know, in any, in any way. But you know what? Another issue that has come up that I've been stressing that is really resonating is the, uh, the state's usurpation of the local controls. Um, this comes up in many, many places. Uh, you may not know the village of Richfield. It's, um, they have a, a, they have a um, landfill problem there. It's been going on for over two years. There's someone is filling in a quarry, and there's no regulations, no requirements for record keeping, 
And the citizens there, the residents there, have been fighting that tooth and nail. And the village has supported them. And they took it to court and won. It was a, they lost on appeal. And they lost on appeal purely because there are specific law, state laws that prevent the village from passing these kinds of ordinances to protect their own residents. Yeah, that's definitely something we've been seeing, right, in terms of their basically... You know, they used to be for local control, but they certainly weren't when they, they've been in, in charge in the legislature. Aaron, a question. If we had, you know, folks, people listening who are in your area, first let everybody know kind of what are the main areas of your district and then what they should do if they want to get involved in your campaign. Sure. I've got a quite a disparate area. It goes all the way. You start in the west in the town of Aaron. Um, that's where, like, Holy Hill is. And it goes east into this village of Richfield, and then the northern portion of Waukesha County, which includes Lisbon, my hometown, Menominee Falls, and then this gerrymandered portion of the city of Milwaukee is also in my district. Um, They gerrymandered that part in, which was Fred Kessler's district. He actually had to physically move to rerun for his office in 2012, Um, and they left out Sussex. So if you look at this district, you can see where this big hole where Sussex was, and then they reaches all the way into the city of Milwaukee. So it's quite varied in terms of people's needs, as you can imagine. So what should folks do if they want to help out? I noticed you're actually doing canvassing tonight, uh, Thursday night, but most of our listeners will, we don't get this out till Friday. So let them know about your Saturday canvas you have going on. Sure. There's a group, a pretty, a very active group with several members, um, it's called the Menominee Falls Action Team. Um, it, was, it was created largely because of my own candidacy. Um, Menominee Falls is by far the largest municipality in my district. Um, and they've been, we go every Saturday at 9 a.m. We have a, a mass canvassing, and we're getting more and more volunteers every week. And then on Tuesdays, this team also does a calling Tuesday evenings. They do a... Uh, mass calling as well. And also, you know, on my website as well, it's, uh, you know, Aaron for Assembly, and the four is the integer, not the spelling, um, AaronForAssembly.com, and you, there's places there to donate time and money if you want to as well. So, Aaron, this Saturday at 9, where would they go? Where are you meeting? Uh, we, it, it, sometimes it changes, um, sometimes it's at people's residences, but usually it's at this uh, Starbucks on Appleton Avenue in Menominee Falls. Most people around that area would know. That's great. So folks, if you want to get out and help Aaron, that's where you need to be. You can also check him out on Facebook. He has a lot of stuff up on Facebook. And uh, Aaron, we very much appreciate the fact, well, first, we're, we're thrilled you're a member of the co-op, and we're really excited that you're running in places where you know Democrats just have not been you know, putting up candidates or out working as hard as you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm also on Twitter as well, and there's a lot of you know, you can get several bits of information and my views, et cetera, on Twitter at the same time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Aaron. We really appreciate your time today. All right. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it, too. Yep. You have a great day. So we're really glad that Aaron could take the time to join us. Uh, we want to just remind folks, we're, we're just a few weeks out now from the election. It is absolutely vital that you get out and start supporting people. 
um, this weekend, right? There are almost every candidate now has canvas operations going on Saturdays and Sundays, phone banking, texting programs, postcard programs. Um, we'll have a list of all of those uh, opportunities that cer certainly that you can be involved in uh, as it relates to our members that are running. But th this is the time. Uh, Tammy needs your help. Tony and Mandela need your help. Josh Call needs your help. Tons of state senators, state reps need your help. With that, though, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank everyone, uh, and all of our listeners, and, of course, Brian Woodridge, our producer, who makes it happen, and, of course, our member who's running for state assembly, Aaron Madison. With that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Yeah.